Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. This is Michael Anthony Ingram. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Tonight, my very special guest is critically acclaimed poet Martina McGowan. She's great. Her book of poetry, I Am the Rage, has been nominated for and or won a number of awards. So without further ado, I give you Martina McGowan. Hello, Martina. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm quite well. As I said, you're great. Thank you. Thank you. I am so glad you're here. This is uh, one of the highlights of my year. So, again, thank you. Thank you for being with me. Let's begin this journey together. Let's begin this journey together. What is poetry? Um, Obviously, you'll get a different answer from anyone that you ask, especially writers. But I think poetry for me is is our spirit songs. the songs about the things we think, we feel, our emotions, emotions of others, uh, inspiration, information, um, a lot of the silences that, that we never voice to the rest of the world. It's, it's our insights on, on page. Why, this is a little different, mm-hmm. why, is it, why is it important, Martina? Why is poetry important? Well, I think poetry communicates a great deal about what's going on in the world. Um, it talks about emotions, our personal emotions. It talks about the baggage that we carry. It helps us learn about ourselves, which is why we write, I think, initially. But it also helps us learn about other people, helps us step outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zones, um, to communicate some of our, our deepest feelings. Your book, I Am the Rage, has stirred up a lot of grist for the meal in terms of its importance. <laughs> Tell me what inspired you to write this particular book. This particular book, um, some of it's historical, as you've read, but it came about probably around the time of George and Breonna and a lot of other tragic events. Um and the pandemic, which isolated us, um, but it just came pouring out uh, a lot of current stuff, a lot of old stuff. Um, even in one of the poems, uh, as the pandemic went on, I, I went on a, a, a sort of a sterile road trip. Uh, the, the poem in my rearview mirror was an actual event. So, and I think it's it's what people of color, not just black people, people of color in general. Uh, think and feel, um, but don't read so much. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, the cover of your book is really, really powerful. Tell me about the process for developing the cover. Uh, the process, I have to give all props to Diana Ejeda. She is a, an amazing artist. Um, she has um, photos for New York Times, and many other national magazines, and I believe she has her own children's book coming out this year. Uh, Diana was hired by my um, publisher, Source Books. Um, we've never actually met, although we've communicated a great deal online since, since our introduction through the company. Uh, but she read the poems and came up with the art herself. Um, and they sent me what her concept was, and it, and it just seemed perfect. Right. What does that cover mean to you? Because it can mean so many different things. I know what it means to me. Right. Um, to me, it speaks at least partially of, of my ancestral heritage, only some of which I'll ever be able to dig up. Uh, and on the, on the back, um, you can see birds flying free, and, and I think that's the freedom that we seek, um, whether it's uh, physical freedom or psychological freedom. But, but where we're trying to get to. Mm, beautiful. Beautifully stated. Tell me before we move into the actual poetry, what are some of the predominant themes of your work? Um, 
I think the predominant themes are probably oppression, uh, injustice, race, classism. I rarely write about nature, but uh, history and ancestors, uh, death, dying, aging. I, I think that about covers most of it. But but I think the main theme is oppression. Oppression. What mm-hmm. is oppression, Martina? What does that look like? Um, it looks like um, a life that you can't fully live, uh, potential that you can't fully explore. Um, and I think when we're young, we don't always know why that is, but there, there's something in your way, something holding you down, something holding you back. Uh, and, yeah, and, and I think, again, it's not just black people. Um, yes. I think yes. most people of color and, you know, and some people not of color um, would have be much more uh, versed about what oppression is, but it's, it's holding you back and, and, and keeping you chained to some ideal um, that's not yours. I agree 100%. Please share a poem. Well, I'll start with uh, the anchor poem for the book. Well, first, I'll read the epigraph. Page here. Uh, the epigraph is short. It's by Langston Hughes, written in 1951. I am the American heartbreak, the rock on which freedom stumped its toe, the great mistake that Jamestown made long ago. And part of choosing that was um, he wrote this in 1951, which is the year before I was born, actually. But we've been having this same conversation for hundreds of years. So yes. Things, don't, yes. things don't change quickly. No. So the first poem, I Am the Rage. I am the rage. I am the rage whirling just beneath the surface. I am the dream deferred again. I am the promises needed and repeated but never kept. I am the air between light and dark, fueling flames that burn but can neither be consumed nor satisfy its own abiding hunger. I am the glowing embers you continue to poke and prod with meanness that bubbles over onto the streets. I am the ravenous appetite to destroy something, anything. I am the ever-present clanking chains in the belly of the cargo hold, struggling to love myself, a thing you have taught me to loathe. I am the dismal days and inky skies. I am the niggardly feeling that there is not enough, will never be enough. Money, land, freedom, education, life, to satisfy us all. I am the outrage that flares every time you say something foolish like, I thought you were already free. Mm. I am the disappointment that breathes hot and silent every time I am dismissed, discharged, dishonored, cast aside, counted as worthless or meaningless. I am the melody that lies inside every Negro spiritual that sings praises of diminishing hopes in this life and a brighter, fairer world in the next. I am the mother who wields the belt that cuts both ways, that beats my children in hopes that you will spare their lives. I am the salty tears of anxious mothers, frightened each time her child crosses a threshold, praying for a return that is not guaranteed, like payment of some impossible garnishy on the lives we want for them. And the furthest point from you, thrashing about in the sea of doom, gasping for air. I am the dark fiber that runs through our shared history that will not allow you to forget. A constant reminder to us both that I can never go home, can never find home. I am the rage running unbridled through the streets. I am the fire this time. I am the rapacious thirst seeking justice for all on these dusky days and obsidian nights. I am the rage that lives within the powder keg of unfulfilled lives, awaiting the spark. I am the rage. I am the lost sheep. I am the muted prayer that we will see each other clearly one day. Thank you. Wow. What what can I say? That is so powerful. What does that particular poem mean to you? Again, I think it's for people who have lived with oppression, um, 
these are many of the things that we feel on a regular basis, um, but I'm not sure that people who have never lived in such a circumstance know. Uh, our lives are, are complex, and they, they often appear to be something on the outside. Um, you know, very, very, very different. It's, it's like we live dichotomous lives, um, but there's always something something bubbling inside, uh, rage or fear or, or something else, just, just not comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do understand. How does a poem begin for you with an idea, a form, or an image? Um, they each begin differently. Um, I'm, I'm really pretty poor at writing from prompts, um, but sometimes I can get something from that. But um, usually an idea, I think, much more often than an image, although I've begun to explore some ekphrastic po- poetry lately. Um, but, yeah, usually an idea. All right. You know, your voice is very eloquent. What do you oh, thank view you. As being the, <laughs> what do you view <laughs> as being the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Uh, they are intertwined. Uh, part of the writing process for me is um, the, the revision is to read the poetry out loud a lot. Um, to see how it feels on the tongue, you know, if the words are right or if I need to move something around. Um, but I grew up in church where uh, at least monthly there was usually some program and we had to learn to do speeches from memory. And so I think that helped a lot in terms of forming um, the way that I speak. Do you come from a literary background? No, I, I do not. I'm the first person to go to college um, oh, wow. And obviously, and obviously, then on to uh, professional school. Yes. Uh, speaking of the past, what was mm-hmm. an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Oh, I probably have to attribute a great deal of that to my fourth grade teacher. Um, All right. A couple of things. A couple of things. Um, she obviously introduced some poetry to our class. Um, but she was also, she was an African-American, my first African-American teacher, um, who gave me that speech, you know, that you're better than this, that, that, that you can do more with your life mm-hmm. than, than what the guys around you are doing. So, so, yeah. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? What makes them special in your eyes? Um, Again, who wouldn't want to write as well as Toni Morrison did? Um, one of my earliest influences is uh, actually Khalil Gibran, The Prophet, which I've, yes. I've read many times and given his gifts many times. Uh, Lucia Clifton, Audre Lorde. And I think what they have in common is the honesty um, although Lucille Clifton was, uh, has brevity on her side, which, which I'm trying to move towards. My poems tend to be rather long. <laughs> but um, Audre Lorde, um, newer people, Nicole Seeley, Natasha Trethway, um, you know, I don't have a um, fine arts background, so I'm sort of backfilling. I'm doing a lot of reading. Um, yes. Back, backfilling you know, my education and learning forms and those kinds of things. Please share another poem. Okay. We'll share too little time. There is too little time to teach our children that there is no after to this ubiquitous feeling that life is but a stream trailing from our bodies almost unseen. There is too little time to spoon feed our children, giving them false hope and hype while trying to convince ourselves that the world can be full of wonder and fair, but they are not free to hold it. There is too little time to teach our children to say I to all that life has to offer and to every passing whim, knowing it will not be freely offered to them. There is too little time to teach our children to fight to keep their spirits free, the often insignificance of a hope for tomorrow, managing the lives of apostles and apostates alike, the sweetness of oranges, the tiny moments that make life beautiful, the defiance built into their very DNA. 
there is too little time to allow our children to be children. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I could ask you the question every single time, what does that poem mean to you? Because it, the, your words are so so rich, so real. Um, oh, thanks. Um, I enjoy thank your you. work. Please share another poem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, this one's a little longer. Um, what sadness we carry. This one's not specifically um, dedicated to Brion, but it was written around that time. What sadness we carry in ordinary times. Deep within our breasts, our hearts threatening to burst. What sadness we carry in ordinary times. Told to breathe, it will make everything better, or at least make it more tolerable. But gaining no relief when we say we cannot breathe inside this thick and foul fog of hatred. What sadness we carry in ordinary times. We hold vigils to honor our dead, held in check by police, by people dressed in riot gear, with tear gas bombs, flashbang grenades, pepper spray and bullets, real bullets while we hold poster board and cardboard signs as our only shields against mutilation and death. What sadness we carry in ordinary times, beaten with state-sanctioned clubs, electrified and stunned into submission with taser guns, punched with clenched and outraged fists, seeking a target to shatter, lit up with rubber bullets because we are unhappy and outside our own homes when the sun retreats. What sadness we carry in ordinary times, releasing balloons to honor our fallen, attempting to release our pain into the firmament, only to find them trampled in the streets a few blocks away or lost at sea, and we still carry the pain. What sadness we carry in ordinary times, when we reach out to the cosmos, thinking we too are one with it discovering that we are instead an unfortunate parody of mixed but never blended peoples, vilified by all, trying to raise a thin wheel of hope for our children. What sadness we carry in ordinary times, because no matter how gruesome the travesties, how egregious the atrocities, ludicrous the explanations, how high the body count, And even though we still, still, still cannot breathe, these are, after all, for us, only ordinary times. Thank you. I, too, carry that sadness. Mm -hmm. Wow. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Martina McGowan, a question for you, Martina. Yes. Has a poem ever humbled or frightened you? What was it? When did it happen? And what did you do afterwards? Oh, I can't remember specifically. Um, actually, some of my own poems I rarely read. Uh, they are painful to read. Um, so I don't, (laughs) um, so you don't read your own poems. There, there are some that I will not do at readings. Um, yeah, they're, they're hard for me. 
Yes. I can understand that. I can understand They were hard that. when I wrote them. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can understand that. That does happen. That does happen. All right. As you think about writing, if you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Probably be to start writing sooner. Um, <laughs> now I have I have a, a blog and yeah and I've written prose like like most people you know I've, I've done journaling yes. and stuff most most of my life, um, but I I've blogged for the last ten years or so and that's oh, been wow. in prose. The the poetry um, has only come um, on the scene the last five or so years. Um, and I've gotten obviously uh, very serious about getting better at it within the last, you know, three or four years. So you've only and been I would tell my And I would tell my younger self to share sooner. <laughs> <laughs> to, you mean to step share out of that comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you belong to a writing community now? Um, I belong to several writing groups, um, and recently I've uh, found a couple of writing salons. You know, uh, many people complain about Zoom, but for uh, many of us, it, it actually has been a, a godsend. Uh, yes, you know, it's, yes, it's, I agree. Um, yeah, I've, I've met lots of people that I never would have met. Um, you know, and attended readings in places that, that I never would have attended. You know, I, I now have friends, and now when the pandemic lets up, it'll, it'll be a great traveling trip. But, you know, now I have okay. friends that, um, people that I know in um, Ireland, that and I read there, you know, uh, yeah, that I've written, I've read in other countries, and, and I have friends um, in other countries, you know, met many of whom write. Um, but I But I do belong to a couple of writing communities. You know, your poems based on what I've had an opportunity to read, have amazingly detailed titles. What role should the title play in a poem? The title should pull the reader in, um, make them want to find out what the story is. Um, often we just use the, the first line. If it's a good line, we use the first line. Um, but it should, make them, it should make the reader curious, you know, um, what is the story behind this? Um, yeah. All right. Please read another poem. Uh, with your permission, I'm going to read something actually fairly recent, um, recently written that's not in the book. Um, this is a poor title, but it's called Processed. The wind rushes through the flat terrain, seeking safety in the mountains, punctuated by the swish of cars and shocking waves from planes. Blue-green lights flood El Paso Airport, resembling a tranquil ocean floor, give way to harsh red lights at the processing center, transforming people into commodities. Like sardines stuffed into cans to be taken to their final rest or pulled apart, then pieced back together held over in containers to be processed at a later date. In the dark, one robotic voice speaking in measured cadence. Wait, wait, wait. Speaking to no one, the streets virtually empty. Wait, wait, wait to send the families back home, pieced together. Wait, wait, or wait to let them in. Wait, wait for the cacophony to relent. Wait, wait so we can reconsider. Wait, wait to liberate children from cages. Wait, wait for our humanity to return. Wait, wait so we can stop ourselves. Wait, can we stop ourselves? Wait, what? Thank you. Oh, wow. Wait what? <laughs> oh, I like that ending. <laughs> I like that ending. <laughs> Let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake. All right? <laughs> yes. We do it all on this show. <laughs> what are <laughs> 
what are some of the prevalent ingredients that would go into the concoction we call a poem? Uh, hmm. Well, obviously, the idea behind the poem. Okay. Um, you need um, need words. You need some kind of flow to the words. You need um, good adjectives. Um, one of my weaknesses, you need some metaphors in there, I think. Um, and and sometimes you need some form to hold it together. And then sometimes form. Mm-hmm. I most of a lot of mine is free form. Um, I think I'm getting okay. better at at, at 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 some of the some of the other stuff. I, I'm not so good at rhyming, although I hope to get better. Um, but yeah, you need. I mean, I think many poems need form. But I think even in free form, you know, uh, like spoken word, there is some rhythm underneath it. Um, even if it it doesn't rhyme, even if it's not. Now, some of the viewers may have to look, look this up. You know, even if it's not a villanelle specifically or a sonnet, um, there's there's still rhythm in it. Um, and and once you have all of that together, then you just keep mixing and mixing and mixing. You know, that that's the revision for me. That that's reading it out loud. You know, over and over. You know, and and this word doesn't fit or doesn't flow or doesn't roll off the tongue properly or doesn't convey the idea. You keep mixing, and and then hopefully at the end, you have a, a solid poem. Oh, very nice. Do you participate in spoken <laughs> word activities? <laughs> I, I have only done I have done one spoken word piece. Uh, How did that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, as one of my communities, no, they, they gave me some some reasonable props, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I certainly can't blow the way they do, but you know, I don't think it was too bad for an old person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I won't share that. But I won't share that with you tonight. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Maybe next time we get together. <laughs> okay. Yes. And you'll be back. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, poets hail from all over the world. Where do you hail from? I am a native New Yorker. Um, I grew up just above Manhattan in Yonkers. I went to college in upstate New York. I went to an engineering school, RPI. I went to medical school and practiced there for a few years, then moved to the Midwest. Um, you know, that was after children and, and <laughs> divorced. Um, but I also found in my heart of hearts as a solo practitioner um, and that got me back to the Midwest, and and here I am in Indianapolis. How has your travels and places that you've lived impacted your work? Um, the work continues to grow. I think it gets better and better. It um, mm-hmm. it's obviously impacted my speaking voice as well. I don't sound like my relatives. In New York, I I, <laughs> I I can sound like a native New Yorker, but I don't. <laughs> um, part and I started to I had to lose my accent when I lived in in Texas when I trained in Houston. Uh, the patients couldn't understand me, and I couldn't understand them. Uh, so <laughs> so I so I had to develop a drawl. Uh, and then when I moved back to the Midwest, I had to flatten some of that out. And so I, I think I sound probably a little more Midwest. <laughs> okay. You know, they say <laughs> they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, mm-hmm. and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? I think, not necessarily from me specifically, but, but I think from writers, from poets, is we tend to look deeply at the world, feel deeply, um, hold a lot in. And, you know, and I think that's probably a a bit of what the book uh, reveals, the things that I've held in and not talked about, let alone written about in in many years. Um, You know, I just think we see the world differently. All right. Very nice. Please share another poem. Um. I'll try to lighten up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Um, you'll figure out what this is about. Uh, the poem is called How Could We Not Have Appreciated That? And it's a little long. How could we have judged ourselves so harshly and so poorly, so poorly that we did not recognize ourselves as beautiful, as graceful, as stylish, as magical and unique? Nightly nestled between my mother's knees as she ruthlessly corralled my nappy and unmanageable hair into neat cornrows, determined to plow the path straight so that the rows remained intact for at least 24 hours, gently applying bergamot, Pinky Glover's means to force little seedlings to grow. How could we not have the beauty and the art and the hope of that? Preteen years aligned with an overwhelming desire to have big girl hair. Sunday morning, nestled between my mother's breast, seated by the stove, the dreaded curling iron moving deftly to make ringlets that would barely last through morning service. Chastised for moving too much, trying to preserve the tops of my ears to end up with burnt knuckles instead. With ribbons and my finest clothes, my Sunday best topped off with patent leather shoes, how could we not have appreciated and celebrated the beauty and the art of that? How could we not have appreciated the love therein? Many years and dollars later, hair mutated, weaponized, revolutionized, and much to my mother's dismay, transformed back into nappy hair, Cake cutters and afro combs adorned the largest crown the little seedlings could produce. Beautiful in its message, soft as lamb's wool in its texture, colorized to highlight its singularity. I wore a blonde streak in mine, individualized to sing each soul's song. How could we not have appreciated the beauty and the art of that? Greasily, Jerry, traveling back in time to ringlets that would last for months, braidable, moldable, almost too long to manage, who would have thought all this could be birthed from such paltry sprigs? How could we not have appreciated the beauty and the art of that? Now braided or locked or plaited or extensioned or afroed or dyed or fried, sending new messages to a deaf world, a message that says we are indeed unique, each one of a kind, and we may wear our crowns of hair, our crowns of beauty, our mother's glory and God's glory in any manner we choose because we are beautiful. Too long languishing and not seeing ourselves as we are. How could we not have appreciated the beauty and the art we continue to make of every part of our bodies and our lives in spite of or is it because of all we continue to endure? How could we not have appreciated the beauty and the art? of all that we are. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the journey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Some poems come to us complete, almost complete. I Am the Rage is like that for me. Um, oh, really? The first time I, yeah, the first time I wrote it out, I mean, the muses just brought that to me. <laughs> no, the first time I wrote it out, it was just about as it is now. Um, you know, once you publish, then you know, supposedly, I, I guess, you're not supposed to go back and change them. But I find that I constantly revise or feel something different in almost every poem. So my mm-hmm. copy of my book is, is well marked <laughs> with words that I've changed around or moved around. Um, so I agree with the first part of the statement. I, I think they're living documents. And, and to some extent, they change with us. Mm. Please share. I want to hear your voice. Please share another poem. <laughs> um, again, a, a, a new one, a fairly new one. This is um, Hope Lingers, based on, a, an, unfortunately, a true story. Walking home from the Rathskeller, still laughing, thinking we were someplace safe. The smoke corrupts the crisp air. We smell it long before we see the orange glow pouring over the hills of Troy, flames leaking from 
flames leaping from an engineering marble, a mammoth cross covered in meal tickets burning on the freshman lawn with its requisite mob in tow, an octoroon dressed as an imperial dragon, never one of us, never one of them, now spotting us coming over the rise, wishing he were someone else or maybe just somewhere else, a burning cross, the quintessential symbol of terror, not in the deepest south, but in the hills and mountains of the far north, where much could have changed along the way, but it never does. Hope always lingers just over the next rise. Thank you. Wow. All poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work. Three words they just can't have, they can't help but use. What are your absolute favorite words to use? Three of your absolute favorite words to use. My absolute favorites. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of revising, so I think I tried to get rid of those words. into to words like that or phrases like that you know when, once we have the idea for the poem going um mm-hmm. you know i think I, I think most writers you know try not to fall back on on cliches um but yeah i don't think i have i, I don't think i know what those three words are yet they, they may be there maybe someone else will need to point them out to me but well i don't think i have of being new speaking of being new mm-hmm. were you mm-hmm. surprised by the success of your book Absolutely. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, I didn't start out to write a book. Um, I started out trying to get better at writing poetry. And so I joined a couple of uh, writing groups, um, one with uh, a good friend who I mentioned in the book, uh, Marion Rothmacher. Uh, it was her group. And, the, and part of the program was that we'd write every week and try to write to the prompts. And as I said earlier, I'm, I'm really bad at writing to prompts. Uh, and I can't remember if it was a persona poem. I can't remember what, what the deal was. But I, I wrote the first draft of I Am the Rage. Um, I wouldn't read it <laughs> to the group. I initially read it to my assigned partner and, and to Marianne. And um, and they liked it, and I read it to the group, and the group received it well. Uh, and then I kept writing and kept reading, and, and you know, I had a friend who happened, who knew a publisher who looked at the uh, manuscript, the 30 or, four, 30 or 40 poems that, that I sent um, at their request, which I didn't expect to get accepted. Um, and they accepted them, and there were actually very few revisions that they wanted me to make and they took 30 of them and it was a book and and again even when the book came out i didn't really expect it to do anything to go anywhere wow that's quite a story (laughs) (laughs) i mean your book hopefully it's a story that makes Makes some sense, but uh, you know, <laughs> but that's, your book but that's is going to. <laughs> that's 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 what happened. I didn't start out to write a book, and and here we are. And here we are, and here we are. If you had to tell a colleague to read your book, to convince them to read, a colleague or a friend to read the book, what might you say? That. This book was written, these poems were written at a, um, one of many <laughs> difficult times in American history. Um, mm-hmm. it, talks, it talks about some uh, difficult cultural things with, within our community. Um, and read it and tell me, tell me what you think. Um, don't try to read it in one sitting. Uh, some of the poems are hard. 
Um, some were very hard for me to write, and and I know it's it, even though it's a small book, it's not a straight through read. Wow! And then get back with me. And get back with you. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. Please share another piece, Martina. Okay. Human enough is the next poem. Human enough. With diminishing confidence, we send out our heart sensors to try to remember where our children are supposed to be and at the same time to touch the God that binds us to each other. The God that binds us to each other tries to break into that awkward silence now filling our homes as we review our day's journey and begin to begin to wonder where our children truly are and if they will return. If they will return unharmed once again on this Freedom's Eve in a world that denies the proclamation of their emancipation, reminding them daily that they are not free to be, to love, to breathe, to live in peace, to have the time to reflect and contemplate. Contemplate what the tomorrows may bring. You know, tomorrow will bring the same fear. We are unequal, that we are still three-fifths human on a good day and on a at all. Never completely whole people, never free from bondage, never free from violent assaults of the body and the mind, forcing mothers and fathers to our knees, service within our hearts daily, to bring our three-fifths children home again, singing songs of sorrow, songs of oppression, slave songs. Sometimes we simply cry and moan. We stand, we kneel, we pray, sometimes in our private prayer closets, but always in our hearts. Always from our hearts, we reach out to the God that keeps us and binds us to each other, bent low before the one source, backs broken in prayer and supplication. Tonight and every night is watch night vigil for my child, prayerfully asking on this night, will my child be human enough to return to me unharmed? Thank you. Probably answered my next question countless times before. You know, so much is happening in our world, the black world, the white world, colors all over. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think part of the role of the poetry is to help people make sense of things, um, to see things in a, in a different light, to um, sometimes just to explain things to themselves. Um, I've been asked about the book and, and what I expect people to get from it, and I think for people of color, most of them will see the message pretty straightforward, as I said earlier, about um, oppression. Uh, and I think for um, white people, people of non-color, um, I, I hope it gives them a glimpse uh, behind the veil of, of what life really is like uh, for for their counterparts um, and and spur them to at least have conversation about those things, you know, and, and to pay more attention in the environments around them, you know, the microaggressions at work, uh, you know, with, when they see things out of order. I mean, hopefully it's, it, hopefully we get people to think, you know, whether it's, um, like I said earlier, you know, whether it's in sonnet or form or, or uh, spoken word, it's, it's to relay a message, to communicate to people and, and hopefully to shake them alive and awake a little bit. You know, here's what's going on. And this is, you know, this is as simply as I can say it. Have you met with resistance to I am a rage? Um, not too much, actually. Um, I, the worst review I got online was from someone who was disappointed because he wanted his poetry to be uh, more mysterious, more flowery. Um, and I'm, 
I restrain myself from writing back. I don't know how to put that into racism. You know? <laughs> I don't know how to make that flowery. <laughs> well, look, you just sprinkle a little water on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some, something along those lines. <laughs> But I did. I did not write back to him. <laughs> no, but no. It's the book's been pretty. The book and the poem itself have been pretty well received. Great. Well, let's take another break, and we'll be right back. are back. I'm enjoying my conversation with Martina. Martina. Yes. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> I know you're probably tired of me. No, no. I'm, I'm fine. I'm enjoying it. Good, good. <laughs> Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Um, I think it's probably a combination of some of the things you've already mentioned. Um, silence is no longer an option, and um, the poems and probably prose to follow will continue. Uh, but to share, I, I think we write for the same reason we read, to find out who we are uh, and to see what our true potential is, um, to give ourselves a mirror, and to shine light into things that are wrong in the world, um, to join voices and forces with people who may be in position to make better change. Um, show us how to live. Show us how to die. Show us how to live. Show us how to die. What a powerful way to ask you to segue into another poem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is also not in the book, uh, A Sweeter Song After Etheridge Knight, who is, is also one of my favorites. You ask the sweeter songs, better rhymes and lighter melodies. My impoverished heart cannot comply, for the truth is all I have on offer. Promises of light-filled days remain empty, provisional happiness in short supply, islands of joy and contentment sinking in seas, of skepticism and setbacks. I, too, dream of breezes caressing my face, walking white sands, chasing waves, wallowing in fields of wildflowers, toes dipping carelessly into cool creeks, basking in moonlight beneath the stars. I await the opening of the asylum doors, once again co-signing my sluggish freedom, anxious to release the sorrow, the heartache, and watch them float away. Some other day, I shall sing to you of peace and love and hope. One day I shall write of beauty and nature, but not this day. I am but a canary caught in a coal mine, inhaling double doses of air so that you may breathe. Thank you. What have you learned about yourself from being a poet? I learned that I think a lot. Um, okay. <laughs> I feel a lot. I don't often express that to, to others. Um, and you know, even though I, you know, I, I don't watch like I don't consume regular news on you know on a constant basis, anything along those lines. You know, but but I still feel deeply about the things going on around us. Um, 
Yeah. When you are a child, you know, you may sort of know what's going on with the world, but as an adult, you you become much more responsible for your own consciousness and and figuring stuff out as as well as like trying to enlighten other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as you think about writing, this next question is very subjective. What do you do? What makes a poem good to you? <laughs> oh, well, that there is at least a message in it. Okay. Um, often, when I get to the end of a poem, um, I'm still thinking about it. You know that I need to go back and, and review a line, if not the whole poem. You know that that it, it strikes some place inside. Um, yeah, that you can feel it. That you can feel it. I like that. I agree. I agree. I agree. Please share another piece with us. We're almost at the end of our journey together, but I want to hear more of your poetry. So please share another piece with us. <laughs> okay. Um, also not in the book. A blessing for my future self. After Lucio Clifton. Whatever the time remaining to me, whether it is 15 minutes, 15 summers, or infinity, I'll trust the legacy I leave behind to speak in remembrance of me beyond this limited capacitance. May my mind continue to expand, rightly processing, holding love secure. My eyes see unanticipated joys, wondrous potential in everything and in all I meet in these final days. Sailing from this to that and farther on, hands working appointed and anointed tasks, sharing the story so others can see us, pouring light into dark and dismal spaces, paving new avenues for others, sharing my heart's blessings beyond its tiny cup, seeding the ground we've tread with discernment, finding forever peace and tranquility as we continue this journey amongst the stars. Thanks. (laughs) I love your work. I mean, the way that you express yourself is so, as I said, so real. <laughs> I feel like I'm walking along with you when you, when you read it. And, and, and again, that's, you know, the, that goes back to your last question. That, that's how it should feel, that, that you're in the story with me. Mm-hmm. You're in the poem with me. Mm-hmm. And I am. <laughs> as a writer, here's a, here's a funny question for you. As a writer, what would you choose as your mascot or your avatar or your spirit animal? And why? Oh. I would choose probably an eagle. Um, with all senses kind of lit up all the time and soaring through the air that can see far ahead. Um, Just very very sensitive to the environment around it. Um, I can see that. (laughs) I can see you being an eagle. I'm going to see you with wings. <laughs> You'll be sitting there on Zoom, <laughs> minding your own business. <laughs> Try, tr- yes, trying to mind my own business. <laughs> trying to mind your own business at this big eagle. <laughs> we'll be soaring above your head. <laughs> That's an excellent choice. Maybe, maybe, wow. I for, maybe, I for, maybe I look for a Zoom backdrop. Okay, we have time for two more poems So please, 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 please (laughs) Two more poems, okay BIPOC Sitting on a powder keg or in a cage 
waiting for the spark of time to ignite, still trying to interpret the illegible runes of how black and brown peoples are ineligible for a life of liberty. Doors bolted shut to keep us from stretching too far or reaching too high or overstepping some prescribed lines demarcated in the ever-shifting sands, the amorphous borders of the lives we are allowed to live. What will it take? How many lives need be lost? How much blood be spilled to buy back our freedom, a thing like our bodies you had no right to own? As you push back, ever faithful in reminding us that we are not human, not really like you, can never become you, even though we do not desire it. Now, naming us BIPOCs, a different kind of beast, a petty euphemism, an abstraction that simply means not white or not white enough. And we'll finish up with today I cannot. Let me take a quick drink. Today I cannot. Today I cannot come out to play with you. It simply hurts too much. Today I cannot push down the pain, the hurt, the grief of the disheartening losses and daily devaluation of human lives. Today I cannot write or paint without crying, filled with rage and fear because it never ends, because it never ends, because it never ends. Today I cannot go exploring with my guildmates destroying monsters because apparently I am the monster. Today I cannot stop thinking about Amaud, Breonna, Stephen, George, David, and wonder who is next. Me, my children, my nephews. Today I cannot act as if I am one of you and that the world is not on fire. I am not one of you. I am, after all, one of them. Today I cannot pretend that I have never been detained, accosted, mistaken for someone else, belittled, overlooked, bypassed, segregated against, denied access, required to show extra ID, watch the light go out in someone's eyes when they discover that I am black, felt the constant need to look over my shoulder, assess my surroundings, living in a world where I am more terrified of dying while doing something ordinary than I am of dying of a deadly plague, constantly checking my posture, my tone, my expression, so that I do not seem too large, too dark, or too threatening. Today, I cannot paint in bright colors while the world is locked in struggles of race, nor write the tortured verses of haiku without mentioning the blues and black hues of our pain, or act like the world makes sense, appear to be well-behaved in a world that sees me as something distinctly other and or less than, something in desperate need of redemption. Maybe tomorrow I can play with you and hide behind this fraudulent colorblind screen, but today I cannot bear it. Thank you. Wow. Martina, what's next for you creatively? Um, I... Right, most days. I hope to uh, get a second book out sometime next year. And I'm moving towards doing a little more prose, so I, I, we'll see where, where that leads me. Wow. I don't know what to say. We're almost done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, thoroughly... I have enjoyed myself. I <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the hour. <laughs> you write for the people. You write for the people. You write for yes. the people. And uh, that is so important. I am so proud of you. Well, thank you. That's important. Yes. That means, that means a lot to me. Well, thank you. You... To be quite honest with you, you make me want to become a better writer myself. 
<laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's okay. Well, I want to thank you again for being with me. I want to thank our listening audience for being, for tuning in, as you always do. Be safe out there. And as I share every week, let poetry ring. Good night, everybody. Thank you. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.